Dotnet Rocks, episode 1407, with guest John Skeet. Recorded Wednesday, January 18th, 2017. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're in the fishbowl at NBC London. This is our happy place. Our happy, happy place. <laughs> John Skeet, a happy, happy man, is here with us. I certainly am. Yes, and we're going to be talking to him about all sorts of wonderful things. But first, something naughty. Really? Something naughty for Better No Framework. <laughs> Hey, you right. could do a UK accent, you know? Yeah, the English version of Carl Franklin just showed up. <laughs> Shall I read it in, my, in, in the accent? <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. Today's better no framework is the big list of naughty strings. Naughty strings. The big list of naughty strings is an evolving list of strings which have a high probability of causing issues when used as a user input data. This is uh -oh. intended for use in helping both automated and manual QA testing, useful for whenever your QA engineer walks into a bar. <laughs> so basically, this is just a big list of bad input. Right. In, in many forms. And uh, when you look, and it's on GitHub, right? Nice. If you look at this uh, text file, it's got the reserve strings like undefined, null, true, false, true, you know, has own property, that kind of stuff. And then it's got all sorts of weird notation for numbers, you know, with like the exponential notation and all that kind of stuff right. and infinity. And and that's just the numbers. I mean, it, it goes down to uh, strings that contain corrupted text. Hmm. Mm -hmm. The corruption won't appear in non-HTML text. Yeah. And then uh, strings that have an upside down Unicode, Unicode upside down effect. Right. Fun. Just all sorts of bad <laughs> input. Because, you know, users are evil. Yeah. <sighs> they are. Aren't they? Yeah. I would never, weird. I would never attribute to malice that which can be explained by incompetence, but yes. They are weird. Yeah. They, they thing, will, things will happen. They will put some weird stuff in those text boxes. And, and possibly even accidentally, right? You yeah. Know, they, 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 they leave the, the machine open on your, one of your text boxes and the cat stands on the keyboard with the alt key pressed down. They, <laughs> mm -hmm. You can have some bad Unicode experiences right there. <laughs> <laughs> and some that, of that, would that would never happen. Some of us actively look at um, weird Unicode experiences. My favorite Unicode character is the Mongolian vowel separator, which <laughs> may be in there somewhere. <laughs> which, you know, depending on which I'm version pretty sure of that is a naughty string, Mongolian vowel <laughs> separator. Sounds, I tried to adopt it. Naughty. The Unicode consortium has an adopter character uh, wow. drive at the moment to raise some money, but you can't adopt formatting characters. Uh, and that, that sucks. Uh, so it used to be a formatting character, then it was a white space character, then it was a formatting character again. So wow. you know, if you're doing stuff with is it white space or not, then it will depend on which version of Unicode you happen to be using, which mm. is so cool. Yeah, Whatever you do when you have the Mongolian vowel separators, don't pull up the image version of that. It's not <laughs> safe for work. <laughs> All right. Well, we have to keep going here with uh, Richard. You're going to read a comment or something, oh, right? Oh, like, hey, is that what that you were going to do? That was a great better note for everybody. Thank you, buddy. I do <laughs> like that we didn't get through the intro without being off the rails. Hey, feel special by the way, that. who's talking to <laughs> us today? I <laughs> uh, grabbed a comment of a show, 881. That's right, kids. I went into the Wayback Machine. Mm. This is a show we did with John at NDC in 2013. It was wow. the Oslo wow. NDC. Yeah. 
uh, when we were talking about async and parallelism and a bunch of other good stuff, and grabbed a comment from longtime fan Jared Kappelman. Oh, Jared. Who you haven't talked to in a while. Yep. He said, this is a great show. I definitely agree with knowing what is actually going on behind the scenes, benefiting your ability to use the tool effectively. We're talking about TPL and things like that. Yeah. When I dove into the TPL in January 2012... Even longer ago. Task parallel library. Right. Knowing an intensive backend WCF service was on the horizon at work that would at times hugely benefit from parallel handling of audit data, one of the first things I did was dive into parallel for each and what it was really doing. Coming from a POSIX mindset, okay, there's some Mm -hmm. memory scars for you. It just seemed too perfect, not having to handle threads manually and allocating appropriately and so on. That deep dive was one of the best weekends of, quote, fun programming (laughs) I've done in my programming career. Right up there with the weekend where I saw the light in getting away from the point-to-point communication and switching over to messages in queue-based architectures. I completely agree, and you could keep on reading, but the collections and threads are oil and water, aren't they? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's where the... That's where all the problems seem to arise. Hmm. Yeah. Well, mutable states in general. Yeah, mutable threat. state. Right. And yeah. collections are just the sort of canonical example of yeah. mutable states. Yes. Yeah. Suppose you had a very large pile of mutable states. Yeah. <laughs> now, now do stuff with it. No, no, not too much stuff. With no end. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's never going to end. Yeah. Uh, and for those interested, if you go to your favorite search engine and look for Stephen Taub's MSDM post. The his great one is is it okay to use nested parallel for loops? I'm pretty sure the answer is no. Which law is it that says if there's a headline saying is something you know ask a question, then the answer is it, no. It's always no. <laughs> yes. Uh, and to the instant gratification point, I think this is getting worse and worse. I'm 27 now, and admittedly, this is a four year old comment. You're 31 now. Uh, yeah. Uh, but when I started doing QBasic back in 1995, doing text-based simulators and trivia games was still viable, especially since they were small and easy to download and upload from a local BBS. I Piracy. did that. I did that. Visual Basic made it easy to jump into the visual world, coming from my QBasic knowledge. But nowadays, we have so many other platforms to concern ourselves with. And in most cases, you can't take 100% of what you know from one thing to another. Although stuff like the PCL, MVVM, and so forth help separation yeah. and cutting down on code duplication. Yeah. A lot of developers, it seems, want to skip right over the stepping stones and go straight to building the castle. That never worked for me, and I doubt it works for you most. You need to understand the foundation. Otherwise, you'll be hitting brick walls later on in your personnel projects or worse off for the company that asks you to do something and you have to do lookups every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, indeed, Jared. And Absolutely. also, I, I'd like to add to that that uh, one step that, people often seem to skip over these days is console applications yeah which are still my favorite kind of application if you want to dive into what's wrong with something yep assuming it's nothing to do with guis or you know the android sdk itself or whatever um the best way of reproducing a small problem is in a small console app yeah i've seen people build whole guis that have a button so that they can run two lines of code that has nothing to do with the ui right (laughs) why do that a console app so this is what i always say on stack overflow it's give me a console app i can just copy paste compile run it's there well and especially when you're nothing but the important stuff right especially when you're playing with threads and things where 
the context of where you're running it could actually affect its behavior as well. Oh, yeah. right? Especially you GUIs, right? Yeah, yeah, no question. GUIs have special rules for threading. Which, so. if you're investigating the GUI rules for threading, threading? yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, don't investigate those in a console. But otherwise, don't but, add that vector, and it's just uh, a set of problems. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Jared, thank you so much for your comment. And for being a fan, we know you've been around for a long time, and uh, I think we sent you a mug in like 2010. Probably. <laughs> so you're probably due for a new one. So it's on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us a tweet. We recycle every character. (laughs) 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 All right, John, let's introduce you for real here. John Skeet is a software engineer for Google in London who plays with C Sharp somewhat obsessively in his free time. He loves writing and talking about C-Sharp, and the third edition of C-Sharp In-Depth was published in September 2013. Writing less formally, John spends a lot of time on Stack Overflow, dot, dot, dot. What's with the ellipses there? It's like, oh, in case you haven't heard, (laughs) (laughs) where a lot is an understatement. Yeah. Give him a puzzle about how C-Sharp behaves, which gets him reaching for the language specification, and John is a happy bunny. John lives in Reading with his wife and three children. And, uh, well, welcome officially. Thank you. Yeah, welcome and back. And a slight update to that. Now the, I'm busy writing the fourth edition of C Sharp Index. Ah, nice. Uh, which hopefully an early access preview will be out soonish. Yeah. Uh, so that will cover C Sharp 6 and 7. Yeah. Awesome. So Are you fun. still just as active on Stack Overflow now as you have ever been? I'm as active in terms of I still spend a lot of time there. Uh, I don't answer as many questions because uh, there aren't as many what I would view as good questions. In new uh, questions. So I spend a lot of time on, uh, uh, adding comments yeah. uh, saying, you know, please could you elaborate on your question in this way or other, or, you know, please give me a small console app showing it so that yeah. I can actually reproduce I'm, I'm it. I'm looking at his Stack Overflow stats. He's in the 0.01% top, because wow. he's number one, <laughs> let's face it, with 33,533 answers, although by the time this show is published, that number will have increased, mm-hmm. uh, and a reputation of 921,175. Yeah. Hoping to get to the million maybe by the end of 2017. It may be early 2018. Wow. <laughs> and, and, you know, the thing that I noticed about Stack Overflow, where I'm using the same... Well, not the same, but I'm using Discourse on another completely different mm-hmm. application. And what's great about it is that the moderators take questions that are asked and say, oh, this one has been asked already. Here's the right. answer to it. Right. Rather than having to, you know, the problem we had with Facebook, which we found ourselves answering the same question over and over again, right. even one that had been answered five minutes ago. Yeah. And all yeah. they have to do was scroll up. You know, and they, <laughs> yeah. And there's a different, a definite difference in goals between. Uh, people, maybe first-time questioners, um, yeah. and those of us who are regulars, and I think this has caused a lot of problems in terms of questioners want to get their question answered. Right. Uh, the regulars are more interested in creating Finding. a high-quality repository of questions and answers. Right. So, you know, getting your question closed as, as a duplicate probably isn't too bad, assuming that the duplicate is a reasonable one. And sometimes moderators and high rep users get that wrong. Um, it's less. It's a less nice experience for the questioner if their question just gets downvoted and or closed. Right. Um, but if the answer is there... Well, so if, if get... it's been closed before an answer's there, then they're oh. not going to get an answer unless yeah. they put in some work and get it reopened. Mm. Um, but I, I think if each sort of side of that can think about what the other side is trying to achieve, yeah. that's why I, I tend to... I will cast a lot of closed votes, but I'll add a comment saying, right, 
please could you do this so that we can then reopen it and it'll be ready to answer. Um, um, because Stack Overflow did get a kind of a reputation of being a bit of a fierce place. Right. And that's because it has this high quality bar. Right. And there's a lot of people asking very low quality questions. And that's the information right. is there about how to ask well. Right. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is if you're asking a question, think to yourself, is this genuinely a high quality question? If I saw this question and it wasn't from me, but it was from someone else, would I know everything that was required? Right. Would I think that they put the time in to format it nicely? Is it, is it really in good shape? Right. And the thing that, uh, I always think about is scale. So, Imagine that a thousand people are going to read that. Mm -hmm. If you can do something to save them 10 seconds to make it readable in 10 fewer seconds, yeah. if that takes you another 10 minutes, then you only need 60 people to read it for that to be worth doing. Sure. If a thousand people are going to read it, you know, spend an hour. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It. Yeah, and, exactly. And the result is a high signal to noise ratio, which right. is really what you want. And yeah. it's number one in the, in the search engines because of that. Right. And yeah. there are, Many people who'd argue, actually, we're not harsh enough. Yeah, um, right. It's, yeah. it's difficult, but it's, it is. it's reconciling those different needs of people. But hopefully, I mean, my, my gut feeling is, actually, if people put a lot more time into asking their questions, going via producing a short but complete program, actually, we might end up with fewer questions anyway, because they'd solve their own problem. Right. Yeah, a yeah. lot of the time, the diagnostic work that you should put in before asking a question is we'll all you need question. to solve it. That's and right. then maybe ask the question anyway, particularly if it's something that's really surprising. Why does this, you know, this method is working in a surprising way. Right. Sure, go and ask the question really well, because by the time you know the answer, you probably know a good way of asking the question concisely. You know what the irrelevant bits are. Right. And then add an answer yourself. And the people who answer and have the answers get frustrated. The people who ask the, the questions that they haven't thought about. Right. You know? Because it's obvious that, oh, it's okay for you to not do a little thought yeah. and put a little thought into your question, but I have to now come with the answer to your beck and call, you know, you know, it's it, a little It should be a last there. resort to some extent. Yeah. Um, and certainly if you're asking a question without putting in half an hour's work into trying to work it out for yourself and then making sure the question is right, then right. that's probably, I view that as a disrespectful Attitude. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And you don't think of it. You you don't think of it that way when you're the question asker. Right. You just think, oh, I need the answer. You yeah. know? Oh, yeah. so and so will answer. So I, I certainly encourage people to ask questions, but do so respectfully yeah. of the time of other people and right. that this is your chance to, to have a great question. Yeah. Right. Um, view it as an opportunity to do something good yeah. rather than just a way to get an answer. Yeah. yeah. It's about contributing to the knowledge base. Yeah. You know, that's what you're really doing here is. You think of it in terms of other people are going to have this question. Let's right. ask it well and answer it well so that they won't have to go through this process yeah. again. And if you do ask it well, uh, I would say there are probably more regular Stack Overflow users who provide high-quality answers than regular users who provide high-quality questions. Right. Yeah. So a right. really good question will it's, it's is a great on. thing. It blows yeah. up. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Mr. Skeet, riddle me this. <laughs> Why don't dates work in javascript <laughs> and i'm just talking about a fundamental simple thing all right uh -huh. now listen i've got a date input and there's a, somebody in california that's entering a date mm -hmm. and there's somebody in connecticut or new york that's entering a date and they both enter a date and they see each other's dates completely wrong right Why? so well it doesn't help that javascript date object is completely misnamed 
Um, it's, it, it follows Java Util date. object, maybe? <laughs> well, instant. <laughs> it, it represents an instant in time. And okay. I'm not a JavaScript expert. Um, I know a little bit about what's wrong with dates and times in, in JavaScript, uh, but not a huge amount. I know enough that I would make as a first point of call uh, moment.js, yeah. uh, which is maintained by a couple of friends of mine. Um, and others, I'm sure, but Maggie Pent and Matt Johnson um, are both maintainers on Moment.js. And I know that Maggie's also involved in, hopefully, the next version of uh, JavaScript date, you know, a better built-in date and time API, uh, looking through ECMA uh, Technical Committee 39. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm sure it'll take a long time for that to come through, but there are various options that are being weighed up. And I mean, you're being very polite. I mean, have you ever just experienced the, the fuming anger of I, I've why done so in Java. Work? And yeah. you know, it's bad enough in Java, or was bad enough in Java. So if you're using Java Util date and calendar, just don't. Just stop right now. <laughs> if you're using yeah, if you're using Java 8, then move to java.time. Um, if you're still stuck in Java 7, then A, you know, it's kind of not being supported as much yeah. anymore. So uh, move to Java 8. Yeah. Uh, but you can use Joda Time. And Joda Time was, is quite old now, mm -hmm. but is such a massive improvement on the Java Util dating calendar yeah. API. And, that, and Stephen uh, Colborn, who was behind Joda Time, or a lot of Joda Time, was also behind Java.time. Okay. So, yeah, it's sort of lessons learned from that. It right. just and amazes me why we need these third-party tools to handle freaking dates. Yeah, yeah. And, and times. Uh, obviously, I'm biased on this, but I'd say .NET, .NET is interestingly broken in that Java Util Date and Calendar are clearly awful APIs, and yeah. everyone who's used them will say they're awful APIs. Yes. System.DateTime and System.DateTime Offset kind of look pleasant. It's really easy to use them. Unfortunately, it's really easy to use them badly, right. and it's relatively hard to use them well, partly yeah. because they don't separate things out. You know, what is a system.date time? Yeah. Well, it might be a point in time if it's got a kind of UTC, or it might be in the system local time zone if it's got a kind of local, or it may be kind of floating if it's got a kind of unspecified. So it massively violates the single responsibility principle. Yes. There's no type that represents a time of day. So if you look at uh, date time dot time of day, the property, that's of type time span. Well, does that, what does that, what does that a mean? A time span is not a time is of day. number of seconds since midnight? It's, well, it might be or it might not be. Because <laughs> imagine there's been a daylight saving transition. I feel like we're having a philosophical discussion about yeah. something that should be very concrete. And, and I agree, which is why I created oh, Noda Time. Right. So a time yeah. span is a Noda Time duration. It's an elapsed amount of time. So right. in ticks um, as the underlying thing in in. But you can measure it any span. way you want. Yeah. You can measure it any way you like. But um, so it is now here in this time zone, eleven uh, fifty eight in the morning. Right. So does that mean that eleven hours and fifty eight minutes have elapsed since midnight? As it happens right now, yes. If we were to record this in you know, March or October or whenever the daylight saving transitions is, then maybe 10 hours and 58 minutes have elapsed or maybe 12 hours and 58 minutes have right, elapsed. Right, that's right. Because of the, the cock co going happens, back and forth. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you know, there are confusions around time zones. Which is probably the thing that people run into most. That's the real pain, isn't and we've it? Talked That's about a the, real pain. We've talked about the half-hour time zones. Half-hour time zones, 45-minute time zones, yeah. time zones based on a political affiliation. <laughs> uh, time zones which have DST transitions, but not by an hour. 
right? Oh. Time zones that have more than one DST transition per year. Mm-hmm. Um, time zones where the rules get changed. So Egypt, I think last year or the year before, decided not to go into daylight saving time uh, three days before it was due to happen. So Ooh. is it possible? Oh. Is it possible to have anything in software happen at exactly the same clock time in every time zone simultaneously? And that, what I mean by simultaneously is my 6 p.m., your 6 p.m., another time zone 6 p.m. Right. So what you're talking about is what I would view as a, uh, if it's got a date with it, is a local date time. It's yes. local to wherever you are. Right. And so that's how I re- represent it in Noda time or Joda time or Java time. So there's a to wherever you are? Well, there's a <laughs> local date time, <laughs> right. uh, which you compare yeah. with zoned date time, which is, well, it's this local date and time in a particular time zone and by the way we also know the offset because one local date time in a particular time zone may never happen or may happen twice if you've gone you know 158 159 one o'clock because you've gone back then you know 130 is happening twice this portion of dotnet rocks is brought to you by stackify prefix an insanely cool and transparent and free profiler for developers It runs in the background and catches bugs, including exceptions that get caught and thrown away before anyone knows you wrote them. Get detailed traces of every request. There's no messy configuration or code requirements, and best of all, it's fast and transparent. Hey, did I mention it's free? And not free like a puppy, free like beer. Download it now at prefix.netrocks.com. What did the television networks do? What did they do, you know, when they uh, were going to air something at 6 p.m. in every time zone? They air repeatedly, you know, shifting along. So 6 p.m., probably not a problem. If it were airing at 1.30 a.m. in every time zone, then some, I don't know whether they would just skip them. Maybe they just hope everybody's gone to bed by then. Yeah, I don't know what happens with (laughs) shows that are regularly scheduled for... 1.30 in the morning. And the, and, in, and the model you're describing is something I think peculiar to North America in the that you have sort of an East Coast time zone, West Coast right. time zone that represent a large amount of the population, three hours apart. And then two in yep. the middle. And they yep. have these two in the middle because often it's like they don't do all four. Yeah. Right? They, right. It's, it's 6 p.m. in the East, 5 p.m. in the, you know, the Mideast, in the Central Time, and, and 6 p.m. in the West – 7 p.m. in mountain time, right? That's the sort of thing that actually ends up happening. And folks that live in those time zones, like the mountain time zone, just get used to all these dates. All these times are off by an hour. Unless you're in Arizona and it's daylight savings time. Uh, unless you're in one of the bits of Arizona that does Desert have daylight Ballard. saving time. Yeah. What? I, oh, yeah. I, I, well, so I think, is it the Hopi Reservation? Yeah, the Hopi. Doesn't. Okay. No, no. Arizona doesn't. Hopi. Hopi does. Right. <laughs> Except for some bits within it that yeah, they were sticking with it. Uh, as, yeah. yeah. No, it's that. You bad. can you can draw a straight line across Arizona and have to change your watch four or five times right. just by walking. <laughs> well, and it's the the realization that time zones are political, right. not scientific. And it, yeah, they're entirely man-made. Is kind of reliable, right? And all these pains we're talking about is really messing daylight savings time again. Political, right? Um, the only real scientific one that I think is challenging for us, like at the IT level, are the leap seconds. Uh, and relativity, if it comes to that. But yeah, both leap seconds and relativity, I think line of business apps should never have to worry no. about. Go ask somebody what time, go ask an authority what time it is and go from there. Right. And hope that your authority, know how your authority will handle leap seconds. Right. So, you know, I generally like the idea of leap second smearing. Yep. 
Um, Smearing. Yeah. So you gradually slow your clock down as you approach a leap second so that by the time you've got to it or maybe 10 hours after it or whatever, um, everything will have been fine. And yes, if you were trying to measure time during that, if you're running some benchmarks during that, you might notice that your code has got a little, I guess, faster. Or, um, but better, better to smear, basically have a second stretch across two seconds than it is uh, to cross 12 or four hours or whatever. Yep. Rather than repeat a second. Either, yeah, repeating a second, bad. Particularly evil. Uh, Having a second that is second number 60. Yeah. Um, also is going to break. Yeah, so many, so many bits of code. Yeah, you'd smear it over an hour. I would. I I believe that Azure and AWS smear it over twenty-four hours, and Google this year smeared it over twenty hours. I think. I say this year, last year, end of twenty sixteen, and hit. So they so you start. Yeah. So so, the longer you smear it over, the less noticeable it is. Right. Um. You know, if you've got something measuring. You know, timing something, and it says it was only a second, but it actually took two elapsed seconds. That's kind of bad. Yeah. Uh, whereas it's, the, it's almost uh, if imperceptible. Is it an over extra one twenty hours? One thirty-six hundredth of a second. Right. Like, oh my god. Okay. And there are whole there are whole papers around different ways of smearing. So do you do <laughs> oh. it um, sort of as two straight lines going up and down? Uh, you could do it sinusoidally uh, over different lengths of time. I just and there want are my app to work, John. Help right. me. So you don't need to care about that. <laughs> help me. Uh, you don't need to care about that at all. It would be potentially useful to know what your hosting service provider will do, but yeah. you don't need to worry about that. The other one that is man-made and uh, awful is calendar systems. Yeah. So you know we're all used to the Gregorian calendar, but there are some interesting calendar systems around. We have leap days, or a leap year for the Gregorian calendar system yeah. is one that has a leap day, yeah. 29th of February. Right. The Hebrew calendar system has a whole leap month. Right. right. Yeah. So the number of days in a Hebrew calendar system year can vary from, I think it's 354 to 380 or something like that. Wow. Um, and you get into weird situations where. How does that even work? Well, it's confusing. It the, qu- the question so, is, when do you correct for the quarter day per uh, side real year that you're losing? So right. in other words, every 200 years, they add a month? No, no, they add a month. Uh, not in a very obvious and easy to predict way. Um, it is predictable. It is. Don't, doesn't it not line up with the solstices and all of that? Uh, other no, stuff? it doesn't do that, but they manage to make sure that, uh, certain festivals either never happen on the Sabbath or always happen on the oh, Sabbath. Yeah. But you do get some really weird situations where, um, say me and Jeff, some arbitrary Jeff, I could have <laughs> been born before Jeff. Yes. Um, but, he could celebrate his you know, 40th birthday before I do. So for you know part of a month, you can't actually tell who's older by the number of years. You know, if you're asked the, Wait, for their he, age in years, does this have anything to do with quantum entanglement? Because <laughs> fortunately not. But, oh. but basically, if if there's the month Adar or Adar, I'm afraid I don't know how to pronounce it properly. Apologies to any Jewish listeners. Um, in a normal year, there's just Adar, and then. In leap years, there's Adar 1 and Adar 2. So if I were born in Adar 1 on the 20th of Adar 1, right, and Jeff were born on the 10th of Adar 2, 
then in a non-leap year, we will both celebrate our birthdays in Adar. So he'll celebrate his first in the on the 10th of Adar. I'll separate, uh, celebrate mine later on, on the 20th of Adar, before, despite having been born before him. Right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Mind blown. Mind blown. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know how much business software has to deal with oh. and, and the Hebrew calendar system. And Noda time, Noda time is what? I mean, we mentioned right. a couple so, of times. So Noda so time is a decent time API for .NET. Mm-hmm. Uh, the current version is 1.3.2 or something. Uh, I'm hoping that 2.0 will be released sometime this quarter, which will uh, be a breaking change because, hey, it's a 2.0. Yep, um, that's the rules. And uh, that then supports uh, nanosecond precision rather than tick precision. Wow. Supports .NET Core. I think you could probably run 1.3.2 on .NET Core because of the PCLs that it uh, profiles that it supports, but probably not as easily. Whereas now we're targeting Net Standard 1.3. Right. Um, and the the main benefits I I see of Node Time are we separate all the types out, so you have a type per thing that you're interested in. Yeah. You're interested in just a date? Fine, we've got local date. Right. Yeah. Local date time, local time, zone date time, offset date time, mm. instant. All of these are different things that you want to represent mm-hmm. and duration. And all you've got in the BCL is date time, date time offset, and time span. Um, we also support the IANA time zone uh, database as well as the Windows time zone database. Right. So if you want to do anything cross-platform, you are not going to be using Windows time zones. No. You will use the IANA time zones, and we also make it easy for for you to update to the newer version of the IANA time zones because time zones change. And I don't mean that they go from plus one to plus two because of a daylight saving time transition, but the rules for them change. Sure, yeah. I think the US changed in 2007. They sort of started going forward and back two weeks earlier or later than before. Oh, they tweaked the daylight saving time. Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah, I wondered. That would have required a new version of the IANA time zone rules, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there was. And last year, for example, we got up to 2016J, so I think that's 10 different versions of the rules. So oh if you gosh. want to be able to accurately predict what time zone things will happen, you need to stay current with that. Ugh. Yeah. When the Sudan split, did they go to different time zones? I have no idea that's on that one, question. I'm afraid. You know, I'm, and it's one of those... Cause yeah, we, political upheavals. Yeah, oh, political upheavals totally change time zones, yeah. right? Yes. So, and I, uh, it, it's politics, I believe, that put India and Pakistan. That's why India has the five hours thirty yeah. because they didn't want to be on the time, same time zone as Pakistan. It was and whoever Pakistan got to the yeah. on the hour one first. Yeah, is, I believe the story. It was the Bangladeshis got in first, so it was okay. East Pat, which was initially East Pakistan, but it's now Bangladeshi. Right. So they got. Uh, they they got an hour time zone, and then the Pakistanis got in next, so right. they took the other hour time okay. zone, and everybody was very happy they squeezed India out of that. So <laughs> India went on the half hour, but then it gets even more fun when Nepal gets their independence in the in the seventies and says, "I don't want to be on Bangladesh so or that's India." Why they're on five? They're on the forty-five. Yeah, and uh, they were considering doing daylight saving time at one point, yep. and they were considering doing it for an hour and a quarter, so that they'd be on <laughs> wow. UTC plus seven when they were in daylight saving time. <laughs> wow, crazy! <laughs> and by the way, a uh, just north of all of that is China in one time zone. <laughs> what? China has one time one zone? One time zone spanning the whole thing from Pakistan all the way to the South China oh Sea. Oh, my. I didn't know yeah. that. And Russia no, keeps I think changing I its mind. That. Yes. I had heard that. All right. Well, anyway. <laughs> Richard, you know what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yes. It's time to time the time it takes to schmear a time time on a bagel <laughs> with a little time. And rosemary. Did I mention rosemary? Rosemary. Yeah. And thyme. A little sage. A little parsley. <laughs> okay. All right.
It's actually, t- I, I'm just trying to reflect how surreal this conversation has been <laughs> up to this point. Uh, it's actually time to give away a music to code by complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Music to code by, of course, is a set of 25 minute Pomodoro sized, quiet and groovy instrumentals scientifically designed to promote focus. It'll get you into a state of flow and keep you there. And .NET Rocks fans are being more productive with Music to Code by every day. And now you can download the entire 13-track collection for only 39 bucks. So see what all the fuss is about. Go to musictocodeby.net and listen to some samples. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Brendan Bell. Oh, congratulations, Brendan. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. And Brendan's about to discover the power of Music to Code by. Very nice. <laughs> Uh, it's a wonderful thing. It is. And uh, if you don't know what we just did here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree Ooh. to one lucky member of the .net Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And, Mr. Skeet, it's your turn. What would you buy with $5,000? Oh, I tried a HoloLens uh, at CodeMash last week. Oh, yeah. And that was lots of fun. Um, I can't quite justify getting a dev HoloLens. I'm not going to be using it for anything production-y. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I can't really justify it. Well, I'll just check that NodaTime works on it. I know exactly <laughs> what I would do with NodaTime. Surely you absolutely want a spinning globe that you can just sort of spin round, yep. you know, use it, use your fingers to drag it, and then point somewhere and say, what is the time in that place? There That's a go. great so, idea. So, yeah, I have the app that I would write, but I can't quite justify spending that amount of money. It. Or maybe you just on. have like a, a red dot in the middle, and wherever you move the globe, wherever's on the dot, you just have one time that, that changes. Shows on that. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. yeah that'd yeah. be nice. Move the world instead. Move the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so you know how John Skeet is actually like Chuck Norris, right? There's no. a whole meta conversation at Stack Exchange about this, right? John Skeet is immutable. If something's going to change, it's going to have to be the rest of the universe. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> John Skeet, addition operator, doesn't commute. It teleports to where he needs it to be. <laughs> <laughs> anonymous methods and anonymous types are really called John Skeet. They just don't like to boast. <laughs> <laughs> John Skeet's code doesn't follow a coding convention. It is the coding convention. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> John Skeet doesn't have to have performance bottlenecks. He just makes the universe wait its turn it's awesome <laughs> there was a uh, the bbc did an article about you they did a couple of years kind. ago that yeah. was great very funny yeah. well and i think it was called john skeet is the chuck norris of it certainly mentioned the whole chuck norris thing yeah. yeah yeah uh and of course we we've been talking about the rescue the princess with programming languages and Right, and, and one of the best answers is you give up and go to Stack Overflow and have John Skeet rescue the princess for you. At <laughs> which point, I'd like to uh, impress upon everyone that the princess is fine. She's quite capable of ter- taking care of business herself. Yeah, okay. I'm sitting here with a Code Like a Girl t-shirt on. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I'm very much not into the whole sexist. You know, yeah, re- yeah. Princess needs rescuing. Um, uh, well, but we it just, was a fun. And we comic. just lost <laughs> Carrie Fisher, who was the original Kick-Ass Princess. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. You got in here. You didn't have a plan for getting out. <laughs> Somebody's got to rescue us. <laughs> Somebody's got to save our skins. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I mean, you've always been a Google employee. There's always mm-hmm. been this weird dynamic with you so enamored of C sharp, right. but not, a, and you were able to accept your MVP, but not sign the NDA. Oh, the whole MVP and, and thing. And not go when, to the yeah, summit and yeah, like that yeah. whole thing. But and I, I'm still an MVP without an NDA. Yeah, right. That's still yeah. the case. 
but uh, it's better now. It's much better now. So for yeah. the last year and a half or so, I have been writing C Sharp while at Google. Woo! Yay! Uh, you, <laughs> with you, Chris Sells. With Chris Sells. Yeah. And Chris Smith is my manager. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, of F Sharp fame. Mm -hmm. And I'm delighted that here at NDC, we've got a Google Cloud Platform booth with specifically around the .NET tooling that is what my team produces. That's wow. cool. So I'm doing client-side libraries for if you're talking to Datastore or BigQuery or Cloud Storage or our logging or monitoring, all these APIs that we have. Um, previously, it's been entirely feasible to use those from .NET, but not as pleasant an experience as we would like. Sure. So I'm working hard on making that better. I have colleagues doing Visual Studio extensions. I think it's amazing now. The timing with .NET Core yeah. has been awesome for yeah, us. Right? Sure. So uh, you can now, in the Visual Studio extension that we have, either the released version or or at least, you know, you can build it and run it yourself. It's all open source. Uh, right. It's yeah, lovely great. working in open source all day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can create an ASP.NET Core application and then just right-click and say, deploy to App Engine Flexible Environment, and it just goes. What was your reaction when you found out C Sharp was going open source? What did, oh, you, did you jump up and down and scream like a girl? Uh, well, that tends to be when I'm going on on uh, <laughs> sort of water slides and things. But <laughs> I wouldn't say screaming, but yes. It, but you were very excited. I was extremely excited. Yeah. And things have been becoming more open yeah. for, for quite a while now. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, as well as the code itself, uh, a lot of the C-sharp design meetings are now much more open. Mads is putting yeah. notes on. Um, I'm involved in the ECMA committee, which is we're still standardizing C-sharp 5. I know, I know, it's <laughs> yeah, really kind of yeah, late. Yeah. But uh, because we, we've had to cover all the changes from C-sharp 2 as far as C-sharp 5, that's a lot of changes. Well, HTML5 uh, so, took a long time, too. So. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we're hoping to, to standardize, you know, in the next six months or so, I think. Wow. Um, and that's been a really interesting uh, experience for me personally. So you, know, you read uh, the blurb saying one way to get me excited is to have a question that makes me reach for the standard. It's almost even more exciting when I read the standard and think, is that really right? You know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's something wrong here. And the most amusing standard meetings, we, we have them all virtually, almost all virtually. We got together last July uh, in Seattle, which was great fun, but most of them are over Google Hangouts. And uh, occasionally we read a bit and we say, well, the Microsoft C-sharp spec says one thing. Yep. The old standard says the exact opposite. Mm. And it turns out that all the implementations don't do either of those. Oh, great. <laughs> it's, it's really confusing. So the, the, the case in point that I'm thinking of is uh, when things get boxed, if you call oh. to string mm -hmm. on an int, does that box or not? Uh, we, one you know, thing says it does, one thing says it doesn't. And you look and for the int... It may work in one way. For your own custom struct, it seems to work in a different way. It's you know, really I haven't confusing. thought about boxing since .NET 1.0, you know, <laughs> since before the 64-bit processors were big, right. you know, in memory, it was on but everybody's mind. But let's, whether it'll happen. Let's, let's talk about boxing. I mean, okay. what this is, is a, is a changing of data type, right, under the hood? So it's creating, you've got a value type value in your hand. Like an int. Yep, like an int. And it creates an object... Uh, on the heap, or at least logically on the heap, you know, sooner like or later maybe there will be string, objects that are actually on the stack because the JIT is clever enough to sort things out. Uh, so it creates an object which is a full object with, you know, its type record and a sync block and, and 
all the extra cruft and it needs to be collected by the garbage collector. Yeah. Uh, so that's clearly a bit of a performance bottleneck. So you often want to avoid it. And as you say, with .NET 2, it so, doesn't happen nearly as much because of generics. So, right. so if I said, you know, um, var i equals 10, var j equals 20, and var x equals i plus j, there's no boxing. No because boxing I in that haven't situation. Hit dot no. and gone to string on any Well, so of them, if you right? call to string directly on an int, that's fine. But no boxing. You, no boxing. Because it's uh, an easy conversion. Because, uh, the, the IL ends up saying, well, you're calling the object dot to string method, but it's constrained that I know it's an int. Yeah. So don't box it, please. Yeah. Okay. Um, whereas if you call dot get type, that will uh, always box. Yeah. Um, which produces the interesting situation if you call uh, dot get type on a nullable int and the value is null, it will go bang because it boxes to a null reference, and then you call get type and it goes uh, bang. Boom! Um, and get type will never return a nullable type yeah. because it boxes to the int, and then you get the int system.int32, or it boxes to null and it goes bang. Right. Uh, there is no no value that you can call get type on and get back nullable. No. Of, a nullable type. It's yeah. never going to happen that yeah. way. Okay. That's funny. And and the, the thing is, is that it doesn't seem like it's a... a expensive thing boxing until you're in a loop or right. you're doing yep. something with a lot of records and Absolutely. now you're talking milliseconds that turn into seconds that turn into and tens it's, of seconds. it's important to put things into context so yeah. uh jeffrey richter awesome author yeah uh, i very much like uh clr via c sharp uh, but there was one bit that i disagreed with him on so he was talking about boxing and had console dot right line and then you know uh the score is uh, squiggly brackets zero, yeah. and then score. And he was saying, no, this is very bad. It will box score to pass that as object, and then string.format will do its thing. You should call uh, score.toString, and then it will create the string automatically. Well, you're doing string formatting. You're writing to the console. Boxing is completely irrelevant in terms of performance costs here. Right. Yeah. I, I approve of the lesson that we learn in right. terms of some things box and some things don't, and you can But it work doesn't out. matter. But exactly, there's a bigger lesson to learn, which yeah. is you care raised. about performance. Right, the, the more readable code is just to pass in score. Yeah. And as the performance difference is negligible, yeah. go with the more readable code. Sure. Yeah. Whatever's more maintainable. Yeah. Unless you're doing for i equals well, one to a million, console write i. <laughs> but then even, even so, the difference yeah, there's going to be perception. Uh, yeah. Of so the console yeah. writing takes so, so much effort. You yeah. Know, when you think it's actually, it sounds like a simple thing, write something to the console. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's, that's going across all kinds of boundaries and stuff. Yeah. That's doing a lot, a lot, lot more work than, ah, oh, just create a box thing that will be in a generation that the garbage collector will be able to collect just like that. Right. Uh, it's, it's no problem. Um, even in a loop, it's where you're doing something that is otherwise really, really cheap. And you have boxing in. Yeah, the, now boxing is the starts, expensive yeah, part. Exactly. Well, this gets back to the whole core argument of performance tuning, which is, you know, you pretty much have to do it last. You have to figure out what the costs were first before you start talking about right. what will make things faster. Other yeah. than uh, architectural decisions, you know, if you can look at an architecture and say, well, if I do it that way, I'm going to have to go back to the server right. a million times. Yeah, fine, that's that's worth doing. But micro-optimization, yes, uh, measure everything yes and have a concrete goal 
the number yeah. of Stack Overflow questions that say, I need to do this as fast as possible. Yeah. No, you don't. You Measure need twice, to do it once. to a certain level. And once you're there, you can stop. You yeah. do not want to go down to optimizing assembly yeah. because you may be able to tweak that extra 0.1% and you've said you want it as fast as possible. Fast as possible you and you're that. using .NET. Right. 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 Like, let's yeah. just... Come on. You, you actually mean... A reasonable a, a, speed, as but we don't reasonable. know how right. reasonable is yeah. for your application. Right. Um, Can we talk about Google Cloud? Let's. It's awesome. Let's. Yes. So I've never quite understood how Google Cloud Platform is slightly less well-known than Azure and AWS. Um, so well, I gather anyway. It came to the party a little later, though, right? Well, it was always big in the Silicon Valley. It just doesn't right. be big anywhere else. I think App Engine itself, which yeah, is been part of Google time. Cloud Platform, has been around a very long well, time. Sure. And then we've brought on Compute Engine. Yeah. And now we've got a whole spectrum. So you, you need to think about how much you want to manage things. Mm -hmm. So if you're very keen on managing all your VMs, making sure it's got the exact VM image that you want, uh, you want to control exactly when the operating system updates happen, etc. Then, uh, sure, go for Compute Engine, spin up the VMs you want. That's all great. You can, you know, we, we have VM images for Windows, for all kinds of Linuxes, sure. etc. Uh, if you want the complete other end of the spectrum, just, hey, write an application and just say, have it, please. Yeah, here, then, run my code. Yeah, then App Engine is ideal. Right. But App Engine only supports, I think it's Java, Python, Go, and PHP. There may be something that I'm, I'm missing. Okay. But it's, you know, we have custom runtimes that are tuned for those languages, those platforms, so that there are all sandboxes and things. Yeah. .NET's not one of those languages? It's not for yeah. App Engine standard. Okay. But for App Engine flexible, it's the somewhat more flexible version of App Engine. Right. Who would have known that would be in the name? Is that version yeah. uh, 2, perhaps? Yeah. Maybe well, three. no, so the, they are separate things, yeah. at least at the moment. Um, and you, you give us a Docker image, basically. Right. And we'll run that Docker image, and we will do health checking and auto-scaling. Mm. So it's still very much run this arbitrary bit of code, um, but with automatic stuff nice. um, and that's where asp.net core you can absolutely do and then there's kubernetes which is slightly further along the you know i've got a i've got a good idea what my app is going to do that's a google product too isn't so it? well it's kubernetes an is an open source product yeah google container engine is the google implementation of kubernetes got it but the fact that kubernetes is open source and cross-platform means you can write a kubernetes app and then deploy it to Azure or deploy it to AWS. Yep. Obviously, we or, would like you to deploy it yeah. to or run it on premise. I mean, that's what's compelling about yes. Kubernetes. Yeah. Is it is just it's a production grade container system. Run it wherever the heck right. you want, and run a development version called MiniCube um, on your system so that you can debug stuff. Great, uh, and that lets you design how you want your. Yeah, you know, it's aimed at microservices, so how you want your microservices to talk to each other. It's orchestration for containers. Okay. Um, right. Not necessarily Docker, but that's the most commonly yeah. used one. But it right. supports Docker, Rocket, and the other one that I can't even remember the name of. And so Google Cloud is now, as we're talking about embracing C Sharp a little bit more, mm -hmm. what, are, what are some of the plans for, or what do you see as the vision for C Sharp's role in Google Cloud? Uh, so I'll talk about my role as a person. I view it as twofold. One is if you are a C Sharp developer, and you want a cloud to develop on, then you weigh up your options and GCP should be the obvious choice. 
because, because it has all the great Google Cloud stuff. So we're pretty darn good at networking and yeah, reliability. That. And, you know, Google.com doesn't go down very often. We've been doing this a long time. Sure. Uh, and, so, it, and, and just to, you know, clarify on this, an awful lot of this is the stuff that ran Google that's now been surfaced for others to use. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're taking all the knowledge that we've built up over the past N years and putting it into your hands. So there's all that. There's also you get to use TensorFlow and all the other. I mean, TensorFlow is open source as well. You can run that wherever you like. And we would like what? to think we run it better. So that's a general machine learning platform. Okay. Um, and from what I gather, not being a machine learning person, I gather it's awesome. Um, only heard good things. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there are our specific machine learning APIs, which you know other platforms have similar things, but you can do image recognition, speech recognition. I've just been working on the speech recognition Neat. client library, so I've got a little WinForms app where you talk into the microphone and it recognizes things as you go, and it's interesting to see you can see not only the final results that when you pause, it says, all right, okay, you finished your sentence. I can now work out what it probably was. Yeah. But it also shows you as it goes along, well, I think you said this. Oh, no, I'll change my mind because of yeah. what you said afterwards. Yeah. Right. Um, which that con- is that context it, effect. Yeah. So it, it's fun to look at that. Or you can do, you know, I've recorded, maybe, maybe you've uploaded .NET Rocks uh, into Google Cloud Storage. So you say, oh, just could you do me a transcript of that .NET Rocks episode? Right. Um, so awesome APIs, uh, great reliability, pricing, all kinds of things. And previously, you might have thought, yeah, but you know what? Azure makes it all so much easier for C-sharp developers as mm. you'd expect Microsoft to. Yeah. Well, we're fighting back and making it just as easy, if not easier, okay. to deploy to GCP. And then, so pricing is the obvious thing. If you, you know, if all things are being equal between Azure and, and right. uh, Google Cloud in terms of ease and features. Yep. What's the pricing difference generally? I would not like to say. Uh, so to be conservative, I will say I'm sure we're extremely competitive. Uh, but the pricing models uh, change yeah. you know, constantly. Every, every company yeah. is tweaking its pricing models. And the great news is it's almost always going down. It's a race to the bottom. Which is fantastic. Yeah. It is a race um, to the bottom. From, from the developer's perspective, this is fantastic. Um, but I... I've read price comparisons and it's really, well, if you're in this particular thing, you need a lot of memory, but not much CPU yeah. or vice versa, or you've got constant load versus occasional spiky load. There's a lot to consider. Um, okay. I, I don't think it's as easy to compare pricing as you might expect it to be. I, my experience is almost impossible. To, and and even when I've gone through in great detail with mm-hmm. like the AWS computer and so forth, then when you actually run it, and, and <laughs> right. you get a different number. Mm-hmm. And the good news is almost invariably the number's lower. All right, you yeah. know, like that. That's generally been my experience trying all of these things with conservative companies. They're like, ah, oh, well, you know, what's it sure. going to cost? Sure. Um, because it, with the notable exceptions, and generally speaking, when you see something expensive happening on the cloud, it's a bug. Like right. it's something stupid going yes, on. Yes. We're not sending the delta of the data up to the system. Right, We're sending exactly. the database up yes. over and over again. Or I've got a tight loop in something and suddenly I'm spinning up a new server for every request because all the old servers are killed. Are pinned. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. where that would have just fallen over in in, in in my system at home, you know, my, right. my in-house system, the cloud's trying to keep it up yep. yeah. and just charging you for and it. And hopefully you have monitoring set up so you will be paged and everything will work well. Yeah. Um, but, it's all that sort of thing you need to consider. Look at the monitoring solutions. Look at diagnostics. Uh, I'd argue that unless the pricing differential is clear, 
it's probably not as much of a driver as the other benefits of the platform. So one of the things we love about Azure, of course, is integration with Visual Studio and uh, a nice portal where we can, you know, get online and click, 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 boom, stuff happens. Right. So you, and and my my experience of AWS has been pretty much the opposite of that. Is, I cannot you know, talk about AWS. At no, 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 no. In I'm terms saying, of, I'm no, saying so. In my terms ex- of I've never used it. That's yeah, yeah, fine. Um, I didn't. Ex- I, I but, don't want you to comment on right. that. I'm just <laughs> telling you my expectations are low because right. of that. You know, so, so we have a, a Google Cloud Platform extension for Visual Studio. Um, and what does it do? Uh, so it lets you see storage buckets that you've got in in Cloud Platform, right? And our uh, Cloud SQL instances lets you deploy ASP.NET Core apps to hmm. currently um, just to App Engine Flexible, right. but hopefully in the future Kubernetes. Um, and basically, the list, the set of resources that you can see, yeah. We know that Visual Studio developers expect to see this. It's not something I think Java developers and other platforms are happy to go to a web portal. Yeah. They're happy to come out of their IDE. We yeah. know that Visual Studio developers kind of expect it all to be there. Right. And um, most Java developers don't even use an IDE. There's a right. lot of them that don't. Yeah, use an editor. Com- so, and a command line interface. So yeah. we'll be adding more stuff. Um, I won't say exactly what's going to come up because. A, I may misremember it, and B, I yeah. don't want to make promises, but no, no, yeah. I would imagine things like logging. You, know, you want to be able to see your logs in real time. Right. There's all kinds of interesting things. And the great thing is that as, as my colleagues in the Cloud Platform team itself build awesome features, we can just light those up in Visual Studio and, you know, my team looks fabulous for exposing someone else's hard work. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of these things have huge amounts of detail in the background. To do distributed logging that's reliable and quick and all kinds of things is very hard. We just build a log viewer, and it's suddenly, wow, it's awesome. And likewise, uh, integrating with logging, we have both for ASP.NET and ASP.NET Core um, pretty much one line. You, know, you, you install a NuGet package and say, I would like to log to Google Cloud Platform Logging. Done. Right. Yeah. Right. What about some other forms of instrumentation uh, that you can, you know, in analytics that you can obviously Google Analytics, but uh, right. Uh, so Google Analytics is more around user kind of analytics sure. than diagnostic monitoring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we we certainly have monitoring for uh, keeping track of all your servers and how healthy they are and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's logging that's more um, explicit logging and then tracing, so you can see how requests are are flowing through your system. Um, I am far from an expert on this, partly because yeah. I build libraries. I I was just in Damien and David's uh, ASP.NET Core yeah. talk because I want to learn more about actually building applications. I'm never going to build a real website, probably, beyond no times, sure. fairly awful, badly designed. I am i don't do this whole CSS, JavaScript, HTML it's stuff. It's not so bad, John. Um, I'm sure it isn't, but, <laughs> but I have other you? things I would rather spend time on. <laughs> Um, so I'll, I'll learn the bare minimum around that. Uh, but I, I would like to know more about how my customers will be using my stuff. Sure. sure. So you know, I will be adding, uh, logging to GCP potentially from currently nodetime.org is hosted on Azure, but it is an ASP.NET core application. Mm. I'm starting to build an integration with GCP storage. For example, if you download a nodetime release binary and for some reason you're not using NuGet, uh, you'll actually be downloading it from a GCP storage bucket. Right. Um, and I'm going to put uh, performance, our benchmark stuff. When I run a benchmark, I want to upload all that into BigQuery. Um, so clearly, I want to move NodeTime 
Dot.org onto GCP in some form or other. I'm not sure yet whether that'll be Compute Engine, App Engine Flex. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but it'll be an interesting process going through, you know, what does it take to move something? Sure. Yeah, no, it's a good exercise for you as well. Absolutely. So uh, what's next for you, man? What are you, what are you off to? So uh, I'm doing quite a few conferences at the moment. It seems uh, lots of people are interested in abusing C Sharp and <laughs> dates and times and things. And asking uh, crazy so questions. I'm hoping to uh, release Node Time 2 this quarter, as I said. Uh, more great stuff on the GCP, GCP stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping to be at uh, Next 2017, so the Google Cloud Platform Conference in San Francisco in March. Do nice. come along. It should be awesome. And you know, I hope I'll get time to attend a load of the talks there and find out what my colleagues have been doing because yeah. there is so much awesome stuff going on that it's really hard to keep up. Yeah, for sure. Um, more APIs. You know, we, have, we have a lot of APIs mm -hmm. and just tweaking them. You know, we've got better code gen coming through so that out of the box, they'll be better than they have been before, but I'll be then adding, you know, sprinkling some fairy dust to make them feel as idiomatic as possible and just removing some rough corners and things. Very cool. Uh, so that's sort of what's on the horizon for me. And of course, C Sharp in Depth, fourth edition. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Wow. That's, I'm busy. Yes, you are. <laughs> I, I got one more quote for you. Users don't mark John Ski's answers as accepted. The universe accepts them out of a sense of truth and justice. <laughs> <laughs> John, thanks for spending the time with us. It's been My great. pleasure. Lots of fun as always. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a